what is wealth creation for ashish samaya Hmm. Uh, I was recently at an event, and that event was on wealth creation. And then somebody stood up and said, "You know, we are discussing wealth creation for far too long, but let's step back for a moment and think what is wealth." Hmm. So I just blurted out. My immediate reaction was, "Only who is only someone who has made so much money can ask such a question." <laughs> I have no such doubts in my mind as to what wealth means. It's money and time, which you can use for the betterment. or you know is to give a good deal to your family and your relatives and society deserve presents the create wealth podcast with sandeep jethwani featuring ashish somaya hi ashish it's great to have you on the create wealth podcast uh you know i have to uh, tell you this uh we were running a podcast called insider investing uh, we've done 16 episodes of it but one of the things that our listeners would repeatedly come back and talk to us about is uh, how do they really create wealth so we thought why don't we actually call it what people are talking about which is to create wealth and the first person that came to mind when i was thinking about the new version of the show is uh, ashish samaya somebody who's been uh, an idol a mentor uh somebody we have looked up to in the industry uh and also i think you are at the intersection of personal wealth creation and wealth creation for india uh and i thought it'll be a it'll be a great uh, first podcast to have with you welcome to the podcast thank you thank you very much for thinking of me thank you so for all of those who don't know uh ashish uh, is executive director and ceo of uh, white oak uh, amc he's also an angel investor in deserve and that's something we uh, wear on our sleeve we are very proud to have him on our cap table ashish i want to start with your personal journey and especially within that this switch that you made from being an engineer to joining financial markets something that i also did back back in the day but how did it happen what prompted ashish somaya to give up engineering and move to money markets yeah so you know uh, sandeep these discussions are always a bit uh, uh, difficult but also interesting because i have seen that very often you know when you ask somebody about their journey you know career or personal uh, a lot of times you find that uh, literature is full of discussions where it is present as, presented as a perfect coherent you know plan and sequence of events the reality is that the reality is that it's never like one coherent uh, you know plan or sequence of events it's always a series you know you stumble from one thing one thing to the other and at that juncture you make a particular uh, decision uh, right so uh, i used to actually it's it's funny but i used to tell people my family and my sister and everybody i used to tell them that i want to be an engineer right since the time i was probably 3 years old okay hmm. and at that time i didn't know what an engineer means but i used to think that the guy who pilots the engine of the train is called an engineer so that's how i thought of actually uh, becoming and uh, my son still think that so yeah <laughs> yeah so hopefully he'll be an engineer also for the right reasons i hope Uh, so i became an engineer and i think you know see frankly when we were kids everybody was either supposed to be a doctor or engineer or you know maybe chartered accountant or something so i think it just got ingrained in my head subconsciously so i became an engineer and then i actually uh, you know worked in a factory for a year year and a half uh, and i did chemical engineering with specialization in polymer science plastics etc 
which is like at the intersection of mechanical and chemical in that sense. Yeah. Uh, but when I became an engineer, they used to pay engineers very, very badly. And I was obviously not from IIT or something. So, uh, and I was dependent on my sister to finance my education. Uh, my sister was working and I was studying. Uh, so she said, you know, so till the time I'm st- uh, working and paying for it, uh, you know, might as well do something else. So that's how I went into postgrad in NMIMS uh, in finance. So no, no coherent plan as to, you know, why I did engineering and then why I did uh, finance actually. Yeah. No, I, I guess like at the early days, you know, money is such a big motivator, right? Uh, I mean, all of us from relatively middle-class backgrounds, uh, they, our parents were like making ends meet. Like I remember my parents talking and I was like, they didn't want me to hear. They were in the other room when our school fees went out by 50 rupees right and we were three sons so 150 rupees per month extra kharcha how will we what are the things that you know compromises that you'll make along the way yeah uh, it's real it's real and you know sometimes that stays with you uh and you want to then think about your key i don't want to be in that situation and therefore you're sometimes optimizing for uh near term uh you know uh, compensation and stuff like that uh, and then after after you sort of uh, moved out of NMIMS, financial markets happened. Uh, you ended up at ICICI in the in the mutual fund business. What, uh, today everyone is investing in mutual funds. There are, I mean, I just saw SEBI report over four crore individual investors in mutual funds. How was the landscape back then? So there was another uh, weird thing, or you know, may not maybe uh, out of the normal ordinary course of action that I actually did chemical engineering. Uh, then I worked in a factory, then I studied finance and uh, all my classmates uh, at the time, they all wanted to be either in corporate finance or they wanted to in a big consulting firm mm-hmm. or they wanted to be in equity research or fund management. Yeah, And uh, that's probably one of the wise decisions I made, uh, again, incidentally, probably, uh, but basically I didn't go for research or fund management. I mean, while I, I, I could have said that I was in some sense technically qualified, and in, uh, you know, 98, 99, when I was a trainee working in college, but actually a trainee with ICICI Prudential Mutual Fund, I would have been one of the earlier guys, you know, who used to go out for sales calls with a laptop and uh, Excel files and data and, you know, rolling return analysis and a lot of technical information. So I actually started in sales because I thought that, you know, when it comes to when it comes to research and fund management, I thought that uh, the competition was very, very stiff. Right. And I also realized uh, that the industry, you know, even if it becomes 10x, I don't think we'll have 10x the researchers or or 10x the fund managers. So despite in some sense being technically qualified, uh, you know, I could have found a job in research or fund management, but I just felt that there were too many smart people uh, out there. Uh, Right. So I kind of took the path of least resistance, uh, which is to get into sales. And I think there, you know, before guys like me went into sales, because as you'll appreciate, you know, when you are into when you are into capital market products, you need to understand all the jargon that fund managers and economists speak. But then you need to yeah. and communicate in a way where everybody understands. So it it is technical selling, it is consultative selling. Uh, but you know, all the people in the industry back then, their background was actually you know people who were retailing IPOs or people who were retailing fixed deposits. 
there was no culture of capital market investing through mutual funds aifs didn't exist portfolio management services also pretty much was very very nascent mm. so just ended up being in the right place at the right time uh, but you know i think uh, you know when anybody says right place at the right time usually it is put down to luck uh, but mm. i would say that you know right place right time but you need to be caught doing the right thing also so mm. uh, that probably mattered but uh, you know this uh, this this experience of being in sales has also stayed with me so i i graduated out of iim bangalore and a lot of my batchmates went into consulting investment banking etc and you know there is this one incident i i distinctly remember where uh, i was uh, uh, my friend who called me he was a bcg consultant and he said ki yaar i am in bombay uh, he was based in delhi he, he said he, he was in bombay he had a meeting with the jsw ceo and you know i am 27 out of college my friend who's also 27 is telling me ki yaar jsw ceo ke sath meeting hai trident nariman point mein at that point of time i was in kalva devi my shoes were in a in in mud and you know uh it was yeah. so, and sometimes you wonder yaar ki matlab am i doing the right thing by like uh, but and sales is at that time sales was not really highly paying also right i mean if you think about sales jobs now uh, they are actually reasonably well paying but in our time when you and i sort of started in the industry it was not uh, how did weren't you tempted ki yaar kuch aur karte hain at some point uh, maybe something that will pay me more so you know maybe slightly influenced by some of the leaders or mentors or even bosses if you will at the time hmm. uh, who made me see the reality of the industry where talent was needed where there was more potential hmm. uh, those kinds of things right and ultimately what i have learned is that uh, most people you know when i go to a lot of institutes i speak to youngsters and for them sales is you know back in the day when uh, that movie came you know which had uh, uh, mr hmm. farooq sheikh and dikti nawal so for uh-huh. everybody sales is actually you know somebody ringing the doorbell doorbell and uh, you know selling soap but in reality uh, it's not that way yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a job which needs uh, excellent uh, communication skills mm-hmm. uh, written spoken uh, right needs very deep understanding especially if you are in capital markets it needs mm-hmm. very deep understanding uh, mm-hmm. of the subject uh, mm-hmm. because you know you cannot simplify Uh, mm. something which you don't understand to the core mm. right yeah. and uh, like i also mentioned that you know for if you are looking at it from a career perspective then you should uh, mm. and you know if you if you read things like michael porter and stuff then you should understand that even in your career you're a product mm. so how do you differentiate yourself and where do you get that foot in the door uh, in the marketplace i think everybody needs to take cognizance of that and the last thing which i would say is that you know when your job role evolves when your career evolves ultimately at some level everybody is selling hmm. you know, at the at, at the smallest level if you are trying to woo someone who you think you want to marry uh, you are selling yourself and at the highest level if you are a ceo who is presenting a business plan to the board you know if you are talking to the regulator to get a new breakthrough or a new product approved you are actually selling so right. at some level everybody is uh selling and uh, selling and is a is a high intensity communication process and all communication processes are basically input output processes you know you never initiate an input until you are absolutely clear uh, what impact you want to create uh, as an output right so i think that sales is often uh, misunderstood i think it's a highly intense process of communication 
you know, with should produce the desired uh, output. And uh, to an extent, it is also quite strategic. It's not about knocking doors. You know, it's about uh, creating your, your your space. No, absolutely. I think uh, I agree with you. I think it's not unintellectual to be in sales, right? It's okay. Like you need to think a lot before you go into a, a meeting, right? And the in the output of the meeting will be determined obviously by your efforts and how much like chappal giso are you doing, but also the fact that how you've thought it through, what are you presenting, how are you presenting it, all of that stuff, right? So, you know, yeah. when it comes and to sales, for example, there is a caricature-ish image. I read some books and uh, the caricature of a salesperson is basically this fast-talking, back-slapping used car salesman. Correct. That's the caricature. And they are supposed to be extrovert and they are supposed to be, uh, you know, exaggerating and they are supposed yeah. to be loud and, uh, you know, brash. But there is adequate, there is enough literature which actually says that introverts and people who are good listeners are remarkable at uh, selling. And there's a lot yeah. of literature on this. For example, there is a book called uh, Book on Introversion, which is written by this lady called Susan Kane. It's a fantastic book, actually. Introversion by Susan Kane. Yeah, so that I'm forgetting the title. The title of the book is not Introversion. Uh, Got it. It's basically Got it. something to do with silent, silence. You know, something to do with people who are introspective and quiet and introverted, uh, how they can be uh, remarkable uh, in terms mm. of uh, their ability to communicate and uh, and sales is essentially a communication process. No, absolutely. And it's also a lot of empathy, right? I remember the first time I met you, you will not remember this. Uh, it was in a conference room at my previous company and uh, you were still at ICIC at that point and you had come and you were telling us about how to, I mean, you were not telling us about how to pitch this particular idea to our clients. You were telling us how your clients are thinking at this point, right? Uh, you told me about something. I, I uh, It was about the fact that markets were falling at that time. So therefore, uh, whether to do equity funds or not. And you were telling me that your clients are worried right now. Uh, this is how they are thinking. This is how they are acting. And therefore, this is how you should talk about that. And that to me was like, this guy knows more about HNI clients than I do. And it's my job to know that. Uh, and that was like super impressive. How did you have a sales process uh, since you said like that's the core of a lot of what you've done in your career? Did you sort of build a process? Did you uh, sort of uh, talk to a lot of people in developing or, or was it just experience? So actually, uh, you know, if you see academically, I'm trained for completely different things. Uh, but uh, getting into a... Uh, sales oriented role was you know quite uh, by chance like I said nothing is deliberate or planned but two three things you know for example for, for first is when I myself got out of engineering got into NMIMS got out I myself used to think that I am introverted and whatever I described about the persona of a salesperson that was somewhere in my mind also as a uh, caricature yep. right for me it was very very difficult to call up someone seek an appointment to speak to strangers to initiate conversation with people who I don't know. That was very difficult for me. Whereas on the other hand, in any conversation, my preference was always to ask open-ended questions and then sit back because that took the pressure of me, uh, you know, to uh, communicate. But turns out that that is anyway the right thing to do. So Correct. this is, you know, purely, purely incidental. Uh, that actually when you go for any formal, uh, you know, workshop on communication or on selling, they always tell you ask open-ended questions and be a good listener. 
so for me that was anyway the natural thing because it's not like i was good at talking uh, so that is one thing to keep in mind uh, second thing which is very dear to me for example it's very very important to understand the uh, business very very important to uh, you know read a lot think a lot uh, and you know try to always put yourself in the other person's uh, shoes mm -hmm. that's very very important you know because unless and until you don't know what are the current circumstances or what is likely likely to be the frame of mind of the person or what is important or relevant for that person at that point in time mm -hmm. until then i don't think you can uh, strike a rapport with anybody Mm. And the third thing, which is very, very important, uh, is being very responsive. Uh, you know, like uh, I, I'll give you an example. You know, let's say you're waiting on the train station. And if the train is going to get late, if someone tells you that, you know, instead of 322, it will come at 342. That is yeah. one level of irritation. Yeah. But if somebody tells you that instead of 322, it is delayed. Yeah. And we'll let you know. Yeah. That is a totally different level of uh, irritation, yeah. right? So when people are, the irritation is not about getting late. When people are kept waiting is what actually is the uh, bugbear. If you are communicative, if you are responsive, I think that really, really uh, matters a lot. So, you know, this is just top of hat. Last thing which I would say is that I personally feel that reading is very important. Mm. You know, and, and reading of any sort. Okay, like for example, there was, a, I had a compulsive habit of reading. So like in Mumbai, you know, if you eat chart on the road, sometimes they give you chart in a, you know, magazine ka, kagas or something. There are times I would, I would catch myself trying to read that also. <laughs> a compulsive reader. I mean, anything that comes in front of me, I start reading. Uh -huh. But I think that helps. Uh, no reading goes waste, really, if you ask me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at that moment in time, you feel you're, it's not impactful, but later on it stays with you. Something that comes out uh, uh, in different conversations at different times. So Ashish, about eight, nine, nine odd years ago, we heard that Ashish was moving from uh, ICICI AMC to Motilal, right? And to be really honest, uh, we didn't know of Motilal as an asset management, a full-fledged asset management firm, right? It was it was interesting what you did. Uh, what prompted you? I mean, I, I assume that you had a path to leadership at ICICI. Uh, you know, you would have stayed on another few years. You would have been... Uh, at the top of the AMC, why why did you move from a very large AMC? I think you're the top five at that point to potentially yeah. I don't know maybe Motilal was not even in the top fifteen uh, or at that point of time. What what happened? So you know, couple of things. I mean, uh, not very often that I have been asked this question. So thanks for asking. But couple of things. One is that uh, so frankly, league tables didn't uh, you know league tables actually. I mean, by then I had some understanding that in any business, uh, league tables are for the big boys or for the, uh, you know, the leaders or the supermarkets. Mm. Uh, but in reality, you know, very textbookish, but in marketing, there is, I think there's this rule of three, right? That the mm. big guys will always have 60, 60, 70% share. And yeah. then the others just need to find a, a place. Mm. So I did have a, and, and to be honest, you know, I would, I dare say it's not something that I'm necessarily proud of or nothing, nothing to really say, but I would just say that I am by nature slightly contrarian, mm. meaning say not anti-establishment really, but I do believe in, uh, I'm very, very, uh, how do I say it? Uh, if I'm with the consensus 
I'm generally uncomfortable being with the consensus. Or I'm generally, uh, or let me put it this way, that I love being away from the consensus. I mean, my I feel more comfortable if I'm not with the uh, consensus. Because I feel that in business, if everybody is doing what you are doing, Mm. Or if you are doing what everybody else is doing, then uh, it's not necessarily wrong. Consensus is not always necessarily wrong, mm. but it's just that you cannot win. Correct. It's harder to win. Yeah, it's hard to win. Like I'll give you a simple example that if the market is growing very, very rapidly, very mm. difficult to gain market share. Mm. But if market is not growing too rapidly and mm. there is just you know realignment of market share based on some differentiation or based on some need of the uh, hour just mm-hmm. because of better reading of customers or because of better reading of the landscape. I mm-hmm. think that's more exciting. Yeah. Just so just give you an example of how differentiation or being contrarian or anti-consensus can work. Correct. So uh, at that time, you know, most AMCs, the global ones and mm-hmm. some of the domestic ones, they were finding business circumstances very, very challenging and a lot of them were exiting. Mm-hmm. And I was a uh, sales head with the leader or, you know, top two. So when, when this opportunity came up, frankly mm. speaking, I, you know, it was, maybe I was the right guy uh, in hindsight, I'm saying, okay, at that time, I didn't know. In hindsight, maybe I was the right guy to get that call because I was not very enamored about uh, league tables. Number mm. Mm. Number two, I had my own theory or hypothesis that a mm. lot of the players who were exiting, mm. were exiting because they landed up in India, in the industry. And they all thought that they will conduct themselves like the leaders. So if you remember, previously, mm. every AMC, liquid fund, overnight fund, fixed maturity plan, they mm. look, the leaders will conduct their business in a certain way. Mm. You can't land up in 2012 and start thinking that now I will also become a leader. I mean, they came 20 years back mm. and have certain reputation and market standing. So they will conduct themselves in a certain way. You cannot land up 20 years later and say that, okay, I will do what they... I can also do what they are doing. So I had this belief that people were finding it difficult to be in the industry because they were not thinking about differentiating. They were only thinking about being better. Mm. Mm. And as far as being better is concerned in our business, you can be better on performance. You can be better on price. Mm. Performance, Mm. you know, we are in capital markets. So performance is, uh, you know, uncertain. It is probabilistic. Correct. Correct. And you don't control, you can do your best to give the right inputs, but you don't control the output necessarily. Mm. And pricing is always a, you know, it's just one way down. It's a race to the bottom. Mm. So uh, when I got the opportunity, I I could see that there was scope to differentiate. Mm. That was the single reason why I actually uh, took up that opportunity. Because Mm. when I got a, when I got a, uh, a a reach out uh, from the guys at Motila Doswal and Mm. Mr. Agrawal, is known to be one of India's foremost thinkers when it comes to investing. That's right. So given their credentials, hmm. I, I could I could sense that there is scope to differentiate. So that was the single reason to uh, consider that. And the hmm. second was that, uh, the second was that there was some, uh, I had this weird notion that before 35, I should be a CEO. Hmm. I don't know. There was, it was not back. It was not grounded in any logical or rational thought process at all. Mm. somebody who I really uh, for example uh, when I joined ICICI mm. you know uh, in 1998 I was reading Economic Times corporate dossier oh. and it says that Mr. Rajesh Srinivasan became CEO of Prudential ICICI I think when he was 31 or 32 
Yeah. At one point in time, my boss, that was Pankaj, uh, he became, I think, CEO at 34 or 35. Uh-huh. So uh, I had no, uh, uh, you know, so it's just that you're inspired by some people. Let me put it that way. They're just yeah. inspired by some people who have done well and inspired by people who are leaders. So, you know, you get this irrational thought uh, that, you know, I should also uh, be a leader or, you know, I should be able to lead a business. So one was the ability to differentiate, which I could spot. And second was that somewhere I wanted to, uh, you know, run a business, maybe inspired by these guys. But Ashish, like was, was like equity ownership a big part of this decision? Uh, I, at least I am extremely motivated by owning a share of the company that yes. I'm working for. Uh, how much of that played on your mind? So, uh, I'll tell you, the first thing which played on my mind was the uh, role to be leading a business. Yeah. Uh, second is I would not take up a role to lead a business unless and until I'm certain that there is some raw material or something or some some lay of the landscape or some potential I can see mm. whereby I can uh, make a mark. Mm. So these two things came first. And, mm. you know, obviously, if you are building a business, uh, then uh, equity ownership you know, mm-hmm. alignment of interest, uh, mm-hmm. you know, your own skin in the game, because you can't just demand everything cash compensation. So even from skin in the game perspective, your own wealth creation perspective, these things are extremely important. Right. Hand on heart, I would say that was not the first thing that came to my mind. The first thing that came to my mind was uh, my penchant for uh, being a business leader. And uh, second was specific to that firm that, you know, mm-hmm. can I add value? Can I differentiate uh, them? from the rest of the players. And I, I agree with you because I guess wealth creation is a function of your conviction and obviously your commitment. Uh, and both of them are coming from a logical uh, angle where you said that whether there is a space and am I the right guy to deliver on uh, on this. But uh, I mean, wealth creation is a big part of the outcome, right? I mean, uh, and that is uh, a reason why a lot of people in hindsight uh, uh, look up at your journey and say that, potentially some everyone will aspire to do the same thing what does really wealth mean to you ashish like when you and because it means different things to different people and this is something i've been discovering over the last 10 15 years is that it's not things that you own but uh, many many different uh, versions of what wealth is what is wealth creation for ashish samaya so i would say that you know three things in that order like one is it's the means to do very well for your family your relatives Mm. And then society, you know, in that kind of way to uh, look at it. Mm. Uh, I was recently at an event and that event was on wealth creation. And then somebody stood up and said, you know, we are discussing wealth creation for far too long, but let's step back for a moment and think what is wealth. Mm. So I just blurted out my immediate reaction was only who has, only someone who has made so much money can ask such a question. <laughs> absolutely so, i agree i have no such i have no such doubts in my mind as to what wealth means you know whether it is uh, it's you know it's basically uh, you know some money or resources at your disposal and of course it needs to go with time mm-hmm. because you know, if you tell me that i'm going to pop it day after tomorrow or tomorrow then i think it's of no use correct so it's money and time uh, which you can use for the betterment or you know is to give a good deal to your family and your relatives and society yeah. i think that's how i would put it uh, we should not confuse ourselves too much. You know, yeah. in India, for example, all put together, we are $2,000 per capita income. 
Absolutely. So I don't think we should confuse ourselves with spiritual questions. We need to do very well as a country. Yeah. We need very well for the people of the country. And then, you know, we can, maybe 20 years later, we can ask more philosophical <laughs> questions. But no, Ashish, this has been really uh, an exciting podcast. I couldn't think of uh, a better first Create Wealth uh, podcast. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for everything, including your mentorship to deserve. <laughs> and thank you, uh, thank you. We should, we now need to catch up in person. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Ashish. Thanks. Hit the subscribe button and stay tuned for our next episode.